0: What's up, EWU crew? It's the Raven, back to share another shocking, interesting, or just strange, but very true story with you. Today, we're covering five solved disappearances with the most shocking twists I could find. And as we go, the stories will be getting increasingly distressing. If you can make it to the end, you'll never forget these stories. A father and son are walking through a suburb of Barcelona when they notice that something is off. At first, they can't quite place it, and it's more of an unnerving feeling than something that either can quite put their finger on. Still, they slow their walk, sure that something is wrong. They realize it's a smell. Something nearby doesn't smell right. The father and son follow their noses all the way to a statue outside the Cubic Building and sent a Coloma de Gramenet. The statue itself is unique as it's a realistic-looking papier-mâché stegosaurus propped up in the middle of the metropolis. The rather unorthodox statue was originally used to promote an old cinema, and there is a distinctly foul smell coming from within the dinosaur. Driven by a sense of curiosity, the father explored a little further, looking into the dinosaur's open mouth, but he doesn't see anything. He looks around the base of the statue and that's when he sees it, a crack in the leg of the Stegosaurus statue. And that wasn't all. As the father peers into the dark interior of the leg, he realized that something or rather someone was inside. That's right. Shockingly, the man had found the source of the terrible smell, a decomposing corpse. The horrified father then placed a bewildering call to local authorities to report that there was a dead body inside of a dinosaur. Three crews of firefighters were called to the scene where a fascinated crowd watched as they broke open the hollow dinosaur leg to retrieve the body. The corpse was discovered to belong to an unidentified 39-year-old man. With this gruesome discovery, the real question on everyone's minds was how someone could even end up dead inside the statue. The mouth of the Stegosaurus is quite narrow, and to me, the pictures make it look as if it isn't actually wide enough for an adult man to squeeze through, unless they really force their way inside. So, what happened? Despite the fact that authorities are currently awaiting autopsy reports to determine the exact cause of the man's death, a spokeswoman for the local police say they are quite sure that foul play was not a factor, as there is no evidence of violence. In fact, based on the position that the body was discovered in, they have a theory about what could have happened to the man. Piecing together the clues, it looks as though the man dropped his cell phone into the dinosaur's mouth where it fell into its hollow body. He then tried to retrieve the phone and so he went into the dinosaur head first, which is where everything went wrong and he got stuck in the leg. Horrifically, he was trapped upside down which made him unable to call for help. By the time he was found, police think that he could have been trapped in there for at least a few days. Sadly, the man's family reported that he was missing just hours before his body was discovered. Police are still investigating the accidental death and the statue has since been removed, though a few bewildered passersby made sure to stop and take a picture of the gaping hole left in the dinosaur's leg before it was moved. The irony of the plant-eating Stegosaurus being the statue that a body was found inside was not lost on people. Looking at the dinosaur statue, I couldn't imagine what the man must have been thinking. The statue is huge and if his cell phone fell inside, there was no way that he could reach in and get it without having to force most of his upper body into the statue. One thing that was clear to me though, was that once inside the dinosaur, there would be no way out. Would you risk life and limb to retrieve your cell phone? The next case is one that truly shocked me. And when I heard about it, it took me more than a few moments to understand what had actually happened. I'm warning you now, this case is the kind of thing that usually only happens in horror movies. For this case, we're going to start at the end as that's how it unfolded. So in 2010, an elderly man named Mr. Zhang went into an elevator. The 76-year-old wants to go to the fifth floor as that's where the nursing home is located. The problem is he didn't look that closely at the button he pressed in the elevator. So rather than going to the fifth floor, he went to the sixth. Not a big deal, right? Well, in this case, it was the thing of nightmares. As the elevator doors creaked open, Mr. Zhang realized there was something there, or rather there was someone. No, it wasn't a person waiting for the elevator as you're probably assuming. It all happened so fast that Mr. Zhang hardly had time to register what was going on before it quite literally hit him in the face. A woman whose face looked distorted in the second that he could see it before she fell into the elevator, tumbling face first into Mr. Zhang. He screamed as the woman hit him and tried to push her away from him. Why didn't she try to stop her fall? Why had she been standing so close to the doors? He finally managed to push the woman off him. That's when he saw her face clearly. It was swollen and bruised black. And in that horrifying moment, he realized she was a corpse. Probably scared half to death himself, Mr. Zhang pressed the elevator button for the first floor and rode down in the elevator, stuck riding down with the stinking dead body. Just imagine being trapped inside a small elevator forced to ride all the way down with a dead body. So what had happened to the woman and what made her fall into the elevator right on top of Mr. Zhang? Well, investigators first found out who the woman was, 48-year-old Chen Fu, who was ironically a patient in the nursing home Mr. Zhang had intended to visit. Authority said that she suffered from mental illness and had a disability. Now knowing her horrible fate, let's retrace Chen Fu's steps on the day that led to her death. So she first went missing around 4 p.m. on the 14th of August, six days before she was found. Well, found is one way to describe having a corpse fall on someone. She had left the nursing home to go to the first floor and then went back into the elevator to go back up to the fifth floor. She, just like Mr. Zhang, accidentally pressed the button for the sixth floor. The sixth floor wasn't accessible and a sliding iron door was actually added just outside the elevator, so that even if someone tried to get off on the sixth floor, they couldn't get past the gate. Well, here's where the case gets really crazy. Chen Fu either wasn't paying attention or ignored the sliding iron door, and once she reached the sixth floor, she stepped out. The cameras show the elevator doors closed and there's no sign of Qin Fu, and there wouldn't be any sign of her until her body fell onto Mr. Zhang. You see, what happened was that Chen Fu had realized that the gate blocked her path, but as she turned around, the elevator doors were already closed. She was trapped in the 40 centimeters of space between the iron door and the elevator doors, unable to turn around and unable to call for help. Not that anyone could hear her from behind an iron door. It was there in that horribly cramped dark space that she starved to death. Because none of the sixth floor residents ever used the elevator, who knows how long her body would have been there if it wasn't for Mr. Zhang accidentally hitting the wrong button. If that last case made you a bit claustrophobic, then you're not going to like the next one either. Although this one is even darker and more gruesome and will definitely make you scared of small spaces. When Luis was 14 years old, he went and searched for his mother Maria to ask if he could borrow some money for a new pair of shoes. When he couldn't find any sign of her at home, he went and asked his stepfather Julio if he'd seen her. Julio told the boy that his mother had gone out to a religious talk because one of his brothers had an upcoming first communion. Luis's stepfather wasn't concerned, so at first the boy wasn't worried either. But after three days and no sign of his mother, Luis started to get really scared that something bad had happened to his mother. He went to his stepfather's house in Collier del Bosque, but when he knocked, no one answered. Certain that something was wrong, Luis looked into the windows and saw that all of the furniture had been taken out of the house. His stepfather had left without a single word to him, and he never heard from Julio again. But where was his mother? Luis and his brother had no one now, and so they sought out their neighbors to help scour the San Juan neighborhood where Maria Cristina had last been seen. When there was no sign of her, the two boys filed a missing persons report, but for years they heard nothing. They couldn't help but think that their mother must have abandoned them just like their stepfather had. As they had nowhere else to go, the boys decided to live in the house their stepfather had left behind and they stayed there for years. In fact, the Hernandez Garcia brothers were still living in that same house 22 years later when they decided that it was finally time to remodel. They hired some construction workers to help out with the job and on a Friday afternoon, the brothers' whole world came crashing down around them just as a wall collapsed. A mason was hitting a wall in the bedroom when something flies out at him, along with pieces of the wall. When he looks down, he sees that it's a skull. Horrified, the mason calls for Luis to come and see the shocking discovery. As they both stare down at the human skull, which has a cloth still stuffed in its mouth, they realize that more horrors await them. They explore the hole in the wall where the skull had come flying out of, and inside, they find the rest of a skeleton. The first thing Luis sees is that the skeleton is wearing pants that he thinks resemble the last ones he'd seen his mother wear when he was only 14. The skeleton has duct tape tying its hands behind its back. Inside the wall, there's evidence that the tied up person had actually tried to escape. Horrifically, there are scratch marks clawed into the walls, which as disturbing as that was also meant that the person had been put into the wall alive. An investigation has been launched to determine who the bones belong to. And though there are no official answers yet, the Hernandez Garcia brothers are sure that the bones belong to their mother, who had tragically been tied up and shoved into a wall alive. The brothers have alleged that they suspect their stepfather may be involved. If the corpse does belong to their mother, then the brothers have lived in that house for 22 years, thinking that she had abandoned them, when in fact her skeleton was only a few feet away the entire time. And even more horrifying than that thought, she had been alive when they first moved in, trying to fight her way out of the wall. Four-year-old Mary Jane Barker had an exciting day planned on February 25th, 1957. It was just days before her birthday, and that morning she was off to spend the day playing with her friend and neighbor, six-year-old Maria Freda and Maria had a four month old black spaniel puppy, but that day would take a disturbing turn. Mary Jane was seen playing outside of a newly built but vacant house in her neighborhood around 10.30 in the morning. This was the last time anyone saw her, or at least the last time that we know of. So Mary Jane's parents noticed within hours that she's gone. By 1.30 that same afternoon, Mary Jane was reported missing. And the weird thing was Maria's puppy was missing too. The police thought that she must have been kidnapped and hundreds of people headed out to find her. As the rescue efforts increased, well over a thousand people were involved in the search for Mary Jane. The day after Mary Jane went missing was when they found their first clue. They found Mary Jane's footprints in the mud near a stream bank close to her home. But next to Mary Jane's prints were the prints of a small dog and a man. That's when the police's suspicions were confirmed. Someone had kidnapped Mary Jane. So two days after she went missing, they hadn't found any other clues. This is when the police started zoning in on a man they suspected named Vern Lovering, a 43-year-old who was arrested the very same day Mary disappeared on charges of child molestation. <laughs> Lovering was questioned twice, and the first time he admitted to being near Mary Jane's home the day she disappeared. The second time he was contacted after police received a ransom call demanding $500 for the return of Mary Jane. But Lovering was eventually cleared of suspicion, and the search continued. To this day, we still don't know who called in the ransom. Part of the searches for Mary Jane included the vacant house where she was last seen. The house was owned by Maria's aunt and uncle, Mr. and Mrs. Pat Fecchia. It had been searched a total of three times, and that's something really important to remember because this is where the case gets crazy. It was six-year-old Maria who would eventually find Mary Jane a week after she disappeared. The girl went with her mother to visit the home of her aunt and uncle, and she wandered off to explore the property by herself. Now, I don't know what drove Maria to do this. Maybe an unknown instinct, maybe a noise, maybe pure chance, but she went into one of the empty bedrooms and decided to open up the closet door. What was strange was the door wouldn't open at first, but when she finally managed to get it open, her missing puppy ran out of the closet. So Maria's confused and trying to figure out why her puppy would be in this closet. So she leans in and looks closer at what else could be inside. She could never have imagined what else she would find. Inside was Mary Jane Barker. She was sitting upright with the hood of her blue coat partially covering her blonde hair, the exact coat she had been wearing when she disappeared. Mary noticed that the fur from the hat she was wearing had been rubbed off and thought it was weird, but she was just relieved to have finally found her friend. But Mary Jane wasn't moving, no matter what Maria tried to do, and that's when she realized her friend was dead. Maria was horrified and knew that she had to tell someone she had to get help. She told her mother and when her mother went down and looked into her closet herself, she ran out of the house screaming. It was a passerby who saw the commotion and notified the police. Investigators descended on the scene and what they found was just bizarre. The closet was three feet wide and five feet deep. The door had an outer handle and an inner knob, but no lock. Investigators first believed that had Mary Jane been alive when she was placed inside the closet, she could have opened the door. It just didn't make any sense. They eventually agreed that Mary Jane had been alive and trapped inside the closet for three days before she died of starvation, fighting to escape the closet and leaving marks all over the walls, meaning she was alive when dozens of people were searching the home, but they somehow didn't hear her and didn't even bother to check the closet. They then discovered that the inside handle, a one inch knob that normally slides open the latch, became stuck trapping her inside. Now, there are a few pieces of information that completely contradict themselves and no one can really explain them. Now, like I said, the house had been searched three times and in each of those searches, Mary Jane had never been found. Well, the house had also been visited by a repairman who stated that they hadn't heard or seen any indication that the young girl was within the home. The thing is in all the searches, no one checked the closet. The people who searched the house mostly concentrated on the basement as they assumed that Mary Jane could have fallen down the stairs. The bedroom had even been searched, but again, the closet was left closed. It was believed that Mary Jane didn't cry out for help when people searched the house or when the workmen laid tiles because she was too frightened. But the puppy had also been silent the entire time, which doesn't make any sense to me. Her death was ruled to be caused by starvation and exposure. The autopsy revealed that the last thing Mary Jane ate or drank was chocolate milk from the morning she went missing. There was no evidence of foul play or violence and there was a hole in the closet which prevented her from suffocating. Okay, so with all of this in mind, the other thing that seems to not make any sense is that the puppy was believed to have been in the closet with her the whole time. But there was no animal waste in the closet despite the fact that the dog wasn't yet housebroken. So how could Mary Jane have been trapped for days and died of starvation? But the puppy survived and when discovered it was described as frisky. Investigators wanted an answer to this question too, and sadly, it was decided that the only way to determine how the dog had outlived Mary Jane was to put it down to examine his stomach contents. The investigators needed to know if the dog had been without food since the same time that Mary Jane had been. Otherwise, it had to have been fed and taken care of and then put into the closet with Mary Jane sometime after. Oddly, none of the sources I found actually determined how the dog survived. It was just assumed that puppies can live longer than children without food. Ultimately, it is believed that Mary Jane was playing with the puppy when she wandered into the house and closet of her own accord. Once inside, she must've pulled the door closed behind her and couldn't open it back up again. But what about the man's footprints alongside hers? How did no one hear her inside the closet when there were marks all over the walls as if she was making a ton of noise trying to escape? Something about this story just seems off. In 2008, the Maddox family is still trying to recover from a deep loss, the kind that never truly heals. Two years prior, the family had been devastated when Zachary, one of the family's sons, took his own life. Living in Woodland Park, Teller County, Colorado, the Maddox family would once again be rocked by tragedy, though they would have no idea just how complicated the next decade of their lives would be. Zachary's younger brother, Josh, had been struggling after the loss of a sibling he loved dearly and thought so highly of. The shocking death really rocked Josh and according to his father, Mike, it seemed to push him over the edge. In May of 2008, Josh was freshly 18 and on the morning of May 8th, his father sees him around the house before both go their separate ways. Mike assumes Josh is going to go hang out with his friends and doesn't think too much about it as he's an adult and he can spend his time how he likes. However, this all changes when Josh doesn't return home. Trying not to panic, Mike waits a day, thinking that Josh just stayed over at a friend's house and he doesn't want to raise an alarm when there may be nothing wrong at all. When Josh still doesn't come home, Mike starts calling his friends, asking if they have seen Josh or know where he is, but no one has any idea where he may be. So Mike calls the police and reports him as missing five days after he disappeared. Because of his age and the fact that Josh is an adult, the police tell his family that there's really no reason to think that a crime has occurred. And so they list Josh Maddox as missing, but not as a runaway. Little did they know that during this time, just blocks away from the Maddox home, something was going very wrong, something no one can explain to this day. After the police list Josh as missing, his parents come to terms with the chance that he may have run away. They assume that he had decided to leave town to start a new life, but this wasn't the case at all. After seven long years of searching homeless shelters and campgrounds, a shocking discovery was about to be made in a place no one could have possibly expected. Just a quarter of a mile from the Maddox home, a cabin that had been abandoned for over 10 years, long before Josh vanished, was being torn down. The owner had occasionally checked on the property and while visiting one day, he noticed that there was a distinctly bad smell in the home. He thought that rodents or a raccoon had died somewhere inside, but he was very, very wrong. As the cabin was being demolished, construction workers found something that still haunts them to this day. Within the stone chimney was a mummified body. The corpse was frozen in fetal position with the knees positioned above the head and its legs devoid of flesh. Dental records had to be used to identify it. It was Josh Maddox. For seven long years, Josh was only two blocks away from his home. Now, there were no signs of trauma on Josh's body, no broken bones, no knife marks, and no bullet holes. So Josh's death was ruled an accident. The coroner believed he went down the chimney Santa Claus style and got stuck. But it wasn't that simple. And as Josh's family would soon find out, things weren't adding up. And this is where the story gets bizarre. Josh was found only wearing a thermal shirt. He was completely nude from the waist down. The rest of his clothes were found inside the cabin near the hearth of the fireplace, leading some to believe that he had first been inside the cabin before he undressed and squeezed his way up the chimney. While some posts claimed that these clothes were neatly folded, the sources we could find don't specify the condition of the clothing. But here's the thing, there was no way Josh squeezed himself up the chimney. During the demolishment, construction workers noticed there was a heavy wooden breakfast bar that had been torn from the wall, dragged from the kitchen, and placed in front of the fireplace, blocking it. So while it doesn't explain the clothes being found inside, maybe he got in from up top, right? Well, that's where things get even more confusing. According to the property owner, the top of the chimney was blocked by a heavy wire grate to keep animals out, which was installed when the cabin was originally built. So how had Josh climbed down from the top? This heavy wire grate was placed across the chimney about one row of bricks from the top. And while some articles describe this as rebar, it was later clarified by the property owner as being a heavy wire grate. Even the owner says there's no way Josh could have gotten down the chimney with the wire grate in the way. He thinks he was somehow forced into the space. And why would Josh place this metal grate back over the chimney after he climbed in? But the truth is we won't ever know if the metal grate was really at the top of the chimney blocking the way down because investigators were never able to confirm if the metal grate was there all those years later. It had already been tossed as a part of the demolition, so now we'll never know. But let's just pretend that the metal grate was gone or deteriorated to the point he could get through, and he squeezed his way down the chimney. This makes no sense to me, because how did his clothes end up inside? Did he get inside the cabin, take off his clothes, and then for some unknown reason, went to the roof half naked and tried to squeeze down the chimney just to get back inside? That just doesn't make any sense, but it's what the coroner believes. He said, we don't know why he took his clothes off, took his shoes and socks off and why he went outside, climbed on the roof and went down the chimney. It was not linear thinking. While this sort of strange behavior could be explained by being under the influence, the coroner stated that he found no indication of drugs, though he noted that testing was difficult due to the decomposition of Josh's body. If Josh had first gone inside, the owner insists he would have seen the steel heat insert inside the fireplace, and he would have known there was no way he could have gotten inside through the chimney. Some people believe he was never inside the cabin and was just trying to get inside by squeezing down the chimney. They think when he got stuck, he tried removing his clothes so he could have more room to move. This just seems impossible. His body was found with his knees above his head. He had so little room to move, basically no room at all. How would he have removed his clothes? And let's not forget the breakfast bar conveniently blocking the fireplace. How did it get there of all places? Now, investigators have said that it would have taken at least two people to move Josh into the position he was found in. He was just too neatly packaged, whatever that means. And another clue came from the coroner himself who said, I know it's not a natural death and I'm confident it's not... Yet he ruled it an accidental death. It seems like there's enough of an indication that Josh probably didn't end up in the chimney by complete accident. And then there was one last disturbing clue. After Josh disappeared, there were rumors that a man was bragging that he had killed Josh. According to police, they confirmed that this man had a lengthy criminal record and violent history and specifically mentioned New Mexico. This is important and you'll know why in just a moment. This is when a strange Reddit post appeared that many believe holds the key to solving this case. In the post, the Redditor claims that he went to school with a guy named Andy. Andy started hanging around their good friend Josh Maddox and the two had been planning a trip to New Mexico, but before they could go on their trip, Josh disappeared. Now, according to this Redditor, not long after Josh vanished, people began calling in tips to the police that they heard Andy claiming he put Josh in a hole. As it turns out, Andy did end up going to New Mexico where he was wanted in connection with a stabbing Authorities also said that he claimed he had murdered a woman in New Mexico and stuffed the body into a barrel, sort of an interesting choice of words. While the authorities confirmed the crime, it was apparently unclear if Andy had any connection to the death. While this is all clearly speculation and could just be someone on Reddit making things up, it is certainly interesting.